The views and comments expressed on the Space Show by its guests, callers, and listeners belong to them. The Space Show and its hosts serve only as a platform and are not responsible for others' comments or views. All topics discussed on the Space Show are primarily for educational purposes. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing. Not Good evening, listeners. Welcome to the Tuesday evening space show program. It is Tuesday evening, West Coast time, of course. And I'm your host for the evening, David Livingston. Thank you so much for tuning in. I have a few announcements to make. So first of all, we're doing a 60-minute format program. So if, if you do want to talk to our guest, who I will introduce in a minute, or send her emails, please do it while we're still broadcasting. That always helps. And our toll-free number is 866-687-7223. And the email address, if you prefer using email, is drspace, D-R-S-P-A-C-E, at thespaceshow.com. So uh, the first announcement is, uh, you may notice that I mentioned uh, that our, our guest is a woman, and you might be expecting Dr. Carlos Decchia to be your guest. Well, as I understand it, he uh, came down with COVID or some related illness and was unable to be with us. So um, we are very, very fortunate to have, um, let me see if I get it right, because listeners, you know, sometimes my foreign language is not the greatest. Agnieszka Pilot is with us, and she is an award-winning artist whose works can be found in public and private collections in the U.S., Europe, and Asia. She is born in, P- in Poland, and she studied painting and illustration at the Academy of um, Art University in San Francisco, an institution I know very well, having lived in the Bay Area for around 50 years. Uh, she is bi-coastal and goes back and forth between both coasts, but has a studio in New York City. Um, she exhibits in quite a few museums, and all of this is on her bio, which I really urge you to read, and it's on our website. But um, her career and work, uh, in addition to being covered by all of the magazines and journals and uh, publications that you are familiar with, uh, has started to explore the philosophical underpinnings of modern technology, and it involves series which uh, includes SpaceX, Boston Dynamics, and Waymo. And in just a minute, we're going to uh, ask her about that. But first, uh, don't forget, if you want to receive our newsletter, uh, send me an email so I can put you on the list. It goes out at 6 a.m. Monday morning, West Coast time. And everything we do is archived, so you can get it off of our website. You can download it. You can listen live or you can take it from any podcast server you want. Uh, Don't forget we have the Spatial Store, where you can also um, get, um, you know, Spatial clothing, 
clothing for your pet, and many, many other things, too. So check it out, and you enter our store by clicking on Pepper, the Siberian Husky, who is listening to the space show, which she is doing downstairs right now. Like it or not, that's what I have playing downstairs in her room. So um, don't forget we're a 501c3 nonprofit. Our parent is one, O-N-E, giantleapfoundation.org. We are listener-supported radio, meaning those of you listening and participating tonight, you donate and support us. As a nonprofit, you do get a tax deduction for your gift. And um, we are a Nevada nonprofit as well. And, um, you know, we, um, we need your support. And uh, I don't know how to be more blunt about it. Uh, there is a PayPal button in the upper right corner of our homepage, thespaceshow.com. PayPal is the easiest way to support us. But if you want to make a check out and mail it, the check must be made to our parent, One Giant Leap Foundation, and that is a rule by Chase Bank. They don't accept checks made to the space show, so keep that in mind. And you mail it to our Las Vegas address, which is on that PayPal button. And for those of you using a United States bank and you use Zelle, then you have a special email address, which is david at one, O-N-E, giantleapfoundation.org. And then we have sponsors that uh, get a brief sponsor message, uh, which uh, I shout out, especially on the shorter format shows. On longer format shows, I read their messages. So we shout out to Northrop Grumman, AIAA, Helix Space in Luxembourg, the National Space Society, Celestis, Astrox Corporation, Dr. Ben Arroyo with his great lunar books, the Space Foundation, and Mr. Jossie's blog, uh, which he also often posts blog uh, um, uh, entries on the Space Show blog as well, Space Settlement Progress. And uh, we're happy for his cross-posting and his support. And if you're interested in being a sponsor, then uh, let me know, Dr. Space, D-R-S-P-A-C-E at the Space Show. Dot com, And I'm very, very happy to introduce Agnieszka Pilot to everyone. I hope I didn't ruin your name. I apologize if I did. But welcome to the Space Show. How are you tonight? Hi, David. Um, I'm great. I'm calling in from New York. How are you? Um, doing fine and enjoying really warm weather here in the desert in Las Vegas. And uh, it's um, the mountains are beautiful and uh you know, I guess uh, one would say everything is well. The technology is working well. And uh, I watched your TED Talk, which is on our blog, listeners. It's eight minutes. I would urge all of you to watch it. And um, talk to us about, um, as I said, the philosophical underpinnings of modern technology and how do you involve SpaceX and I know that the dog that was in your TED Talk was Boston Dynamics, correct? Uh, yes, correct. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for the introduction, David. So um, SpaceX came to my work after I started working with the robot uh, dog and other technologies. So maybe I can uh, briefly just uh, talk about that, how I ended up. Okay. Uh, working with space technology. So uh, I always like to underline that I come from classical painting. 
and uh, but I don't paint figure anymore. And the main reason is that uh, the philosophy behind my work is that technology, machine, and more so artificial intelligence is the is the power is where the power is concentrated more and more today. And uh, I would say that the robots, especially Spot, uh, they are the celebrities of today. Uh, for someone like me who comes from classical painting, and not just painting, but actually portraiture, portraiture always reflected power in society. So you don't even need to know history or be interested in art. But if you walk, if you go to a museum, you look whose portrait was painted in an era, you will know uh, this is where the power is being held. These were the power brokers. Uh, and today, of course, especially in America, uh, power more and more concentrated with the machine. So that's how I stopped painting portraits of human beings, and I started port- painting portraits of machines, thinking that machine is my Merlin Monroe. If I was uh, Andy Warhol, I would be painting portraits of Merlin. I think Andy would also be painting machines. So that's kind of the, the yeah the preamble to my work. Okay, so um, one of the technologies mentioned is Waymo. So for listeners who who may not know, and and I know because I saw them driving all over San Francisco, they're the self-driving cars that are being tested in traffic in different cities around the United States. There are other self-driving cars too, but they're they're one of them, and they always have their name, really big letters on the car, so you can see see them, and you you know they're self-driving. Um, so how do you work? Uh, so I saw your TED talk. So I saw how you work the dog in with art. Uh, how do you how do you work Waymo? I guess you're you're working the self-driving cars as machines into your work. Is that correct? Uh, so yes. Yeah, so the story with Waymo is. A sort of very interesting. I came to Google to to actually deliver a, a talk about my work, about working with technology, and then the CEO of Waymo, who was then John Kraftchik, John just um, were very delighted with how I portrayed technology in my work, and he came and he asked me, "Would you want to paint a portrait of my technology?" And that's why, and that's how I I uh, I first um, saw. Lidars. I, I, I painted the lidar technology. I always I like work. I'm not a software artist. I really like to work with physical objects. That's why also space technology and rockets. They're like a real fetish to me. Uh, so John came and um, asked me to paint a portrait of Waymo, and it became actually um, I couldn't finish the portrait, and the reason was that this was the first time I was painting new, modern, cutting-edge technology. And the problem was that every painting I painted before that, uh, they were portraits of old machines. So when you think about old machines, uh, the parallel would be old people. When you think about good portraiture, Rembrandt, there was a reason why Rembrandt was not painting babies. He was painting old people because they had essence, they had history. There was something to catch on there. Uh, so I, so my old machines kind of followed the tradition in the art, but Waymo was a new technology. And, um, and I tried to use the same approach, meaning very serious, um, color palette, uh, very powerful images. And the paintings came out kind of, uh, almost oppressive. 
And I think it, it kind of symbolizes actually, uh, the, uh, my failure symbolizes also, um, what happens if we look at technology, uh, in a too serious way, meaning, uh, we expect it to be perfect and, and very powerful with these new technologies. And that's what the fear society right now is. So long story short, I really failed miserably painting a portrait of Waymo technology. So, um, if we, if we jump over to SpaceX, are you painting the rockets and are you succeeding there or doing the same thing you did with Waymo? Uh, SpaceX, uh, my SpaceX work is actually really touches on religious aspects of technology. So it is very different work. Uh, I figured out along the way, just to follow up the Waymo story, I figured out the problem, and the problem was that I was treating this technology too seriously. So when I started working with Spot, Boston Dynamics, uh, I treated technology as what it was, which is a nascent new entity we don't know, it doesn't have personality yet. Uh, so, yeah, so we can talk about this later if there's time. But SpaceX, I have totally different approach. I really think that uh, technology and religion use similar forms of seduction in a sense that they both offer um, a promise of a better future. They both touch on problem or issue of immortality. And uh, so when I came to SpaceX, I wanted to convey it with the language that's used in, in religious um, uh, art, which is mostly, uh, you know, halos. You know, I, I was born in Poland, so it's a Catholic country. So think about halos using gold leaf. And I think of these paintings as modern icons drawing from the, the iconography. And what I'm painting there, it's a portrait of, I painted the number, a series, a number of portraits of Dragon Hatch. I think it's a really divine machine, divine technology, because, uh, you know, it, it separates really um, astronauts uh, from, you know, life and death um, uh, environment. Uh, so it's, very, it's a very special thing of machinery. And, and, and at SpaceX, I use, um, I use, I paint from life. I never paint from, from photographs. So uh, I use the, the model that's being used for training at SpaceX, uh, which is the exact same model that is on Dragon Hatch. Um, and I have a space there, uh, no, no pun intended. I have, I have a spot there at SpaceX, and that's what I've been doing last year. Um, real quickly, you have a note from listener Todd in San Diego, and he says, do you have a website where we can see some of your work and what you're talking about? And talk to you about it as we're listening to you? Uh, sure. The best way, actually, to see what I'm doing is to go to my Instagram, which is my name, so Agnieszka underscore Pilat, A-G-N-I-E-S-Z-K-A underscore P-I-L-A-T. And I think Instagram is the best way uh, to see my work, my website, it's pretty spelt, and there's not much there. Okay. So um, one has to be on Instagram to do that, correct? You can't go to it without being part of Instagram. Is that correct? I think you can just browse it. But you can also, 
if you just Google my name also, uh, a lot of just press and articles will come up under the Wikipedia page. Um, and I do have a website. My website, my website is pilatart.com, P-I-L-P-I-L-A-T-A-R-T.com, uh, and you can contact me through there. Um, what kind of um, feedback do you get on your technology art, uh, and I guess uh, specifically the, the space art, uh, which is, is probably where we on the space show might have more interest, but do you get a lot of feedback? Do people get what you're talking about or what you're trying to show and and model? Um, what, what can you uh, what, what can you say about feedback and and reception uh, to uh, what you're doing, especially with SpaceX art? We'll start there. Uh, sure. Uh, with SpaceX, there is a lot of delight about the work, and that actually is in contrast to. Uh, some of the work that I do with the robots. So, you know, a lot of my fans and my collectors, they've been following for a long time and they're used to the fact, to the fact that I paint with my hands. With the robots, the robots are doing all the work. And there is a, uh, there is resistance and uh, almost confusion around it. So, uh, so when I started painting again, being at SpaceX, there was a lot of delight and love around that. Uh, and, um, and they are pretty, I mean, generally, it's more clear that there is some kind of religious aspect in it, although they are very modern and kind of abstract uh, with the gold leaf. That's even more clear than the dragon hatch. Of course, if you are a uh, follow launches and, you know, SpaceX technology, it's very clear this is the door. And when I paint it, I always paint it in two. Um, there are always diptychs, and there is always the inside and the outside of Dragon Hatch. And again, this kind of, for me, is about duality in, on, human, on human nature and also duality in religion about heroes and anti-heroes, the heroism that's destructive and heroes that's very productive. So they always, uh, I paint always in diptychs. Uh, but you don't show the astronauts, which might be the heroes, correct? I'm, I'm looking at I them you know, on your sure. website right now. Go ahead. I don't. I don't think the hero, the human figures. I do think that um, I, I always like to say I work for technology. So, um, and I think technology is humanity's child in a sense. That's our legacy and that's really technology shows the ingenuity of human mind and you know collective mind what we came to um you know from crawling down crawling from the mud first that we are in this position so i do think in that sense it's for me more exciting to say that i work for the machine that machine is my patron and i never never put uh humans in my work so i don't uh you have another e- email uh, from Linda, and Linda's in Chicago, and she says, I watched your TED Talk, and um, if I heard it right, and uh, if I'm not imagining something, it's as if you had a relationship with the dog. Do you have relationships with the robots or with the dragon hatch? Is that part of what you're doing? Uh, I am definitely very emotionally attached to them. Um, I, you know, in, in TED, when I heard my, my TED talk, I, I do talk about my childhood and growing up in Eastern Europe and how technology always brought hope to us. 
And of course, in the back then, it's an interesting con- context because there was a race to space between Russia, which we were occupied by, and United States. And I'll tell you, we all were rooting for America to be really first in that context. contest. So for me, machines always and technology always brought hope to me. Um, and, and I think there is a num- there's, you know, discomfort currently with so much change brought by technology. And this includes also, um, space technology, uh, that I, I feel almost like I am a, de- like a defender of technology, giving it voice. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so it, it's a, it's a very, it's a very, um, authentic in my mind relationship that I have with these machines. Did you get to keep the robot dog? <laughs> I do. One of them belongs to me. Yes, I do have one. Although currently, uh, I have a show at the National Gallery in Melbourne, and we have three robots, and one of them is mine, Basha, and and two of them belong to Boston Dynamics, Amuzana, and Bunny and Bunny Junior. Junior. And I'm very sad because I'm in New York in my in my studio, and I'm always used to having the robot dog with me. And not having spot, my life is very boring because if I have spot with me, people always want to talk to me. The whole building, everyone's always all the you know all the staff of the building, starting from you know a janitor uh, all the way to artists and other galleries. Everyone wants to talk to me always because the robot's so exciting. But the robot is all the way in Australia till April, and I feel like you know life is not the same without it. So you. Do you walk around New York with the robot dog, like a real dog? Uh, yes, this is interesting. So sometimes I do take it, not far, but I do take it out sometimes. If there's a like gallery opening. I live, my studio's in Chelsea. There's lots of galleries around. Uh, and it's a very interesting way to actually not just meet people, but it's almost like a Rorschach test. Uh, different people react uh, different ways towards the robot. And, of course, kids have the best reactions. And what's interesting, kids that are digital natives and understand technology, and it's, you know, it's part of their lives much more than our, like, older generation, they instantly understand that it's a bit of a game. Uh, I think, uh, you know, adults, uh, especially older people, they're kind of delighted by the robot, but they think they they are uh, assigned to it much more autonomy than it really has, as opposed to children who very quickly try to figure out who is controlling it. Um, did you uh, get feedback from SpaceX uh, with, with your art and uh, looking at technology and religion? And I'd be curious to know what that feedback was. Well, I mean, I'm right. I'm painting at SpaceX, so they're right there, so they know uh, what I'm doing. Uh, my relationship, of course, is um, there. Uh, there is only um, I can't disclose, you know, a lot about how, that relationship, but I'm right there. And, and SpaceX is not unique to companies in the sense that it's actually always engineers who are the most excited uh, because um, I find that. Engineers, uh, again, SpaceX and other tech companies, they really crave uh, moral validation and just validation, kind of cultural validation for what they are doing. Uh, you know, they're head down, working so hard all the time. And uh, but um, 
as human beings, we all, you know, we don't live for bread alone. So, again, they're, so they're geeky, they're super cool, they're super smart, uh, but, you know, they, they, they look beyond just, um, you know, pounding stuff on the computer. They're really, there's a mission, and SpaceX, it's exciting to be there because uh, the culture of the company around really uh, believing and an effort to, um, you know, to, to eventually um, do a Mars mission, uh, it, 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 it's really palatable, the excitement. Um, and, and so it's a great privilege to be there and, you know, uh, get, a, get, get, a, get a sense of it. Um, so I have another um, email, and uh, this is Carl in Los Angeles. And he says, while you've been talking, I've been looking under the name you gave us for the website, and uh, I found a picture of you with Agility Robotics, which you haven't talked about. I don't quite know what that is. It, it looks like it's the upper part of maybe a, a human type of robot. But talk about Agility Robotics and and uh, and your art. I think that would be different than the dog. Is that correct? Uh, sure. So Agility Robotics, like Boston Dynamics, they are general-purpose robots. So in that sense, they are similar. But uh, Boston Dynamics is a quadruped, so it has four legs, so it's a robot dog. Uh, agility is bipedal. So it's um, sometimes the term is used humanoid. Generally, um, from my experience, um, uh, roboticists don't like the term as much as just bipedal. Uh, because it doesn't project, you know, human features. So Agility, uh, it's a, it's a wonderful, um, company. They remain, um, I, I first met that, I first saw the robot, uh, on the internet and I found the introduction and I went there to their, in Oregon near Eugene. Um, and, and it's what, so I did some paintings with, uh, with Digit also as a, as a medium to use, to use my work. Um, it's a different, uh, it, it's different. Working with agility is very different. I think what's interesting is if, if, if people have time to look on the internet, the first version I worked with the robot was very different than the new one. The first version did not have a head. There was just a lighter on top of it. And the reason was, uh, that when they were building the robot, everything, uh, was for it to make sure it operates properly in real world. And that's why I love robotics and rockets too and space technology. Unlike soft unlike software, uh especially now with AI and deep fakes and um um you know hallucinations. In robotics there can be no hallucinations. Even either it works or it doesn't. So uh, so I was explained uh, by the CTO uh, how he told me how they built the robot. Every single part was built to allow it to walk, to augment it to walk. And, for example, head, of course, and we know this from us as human beings, that head is, is, a, is a liability. It's, it's heavy. It, it causes problems with, um, you know, with uh, balance. Uh, unlike arms, for example, that were at first added to the robot, actually mostly for balance. So when you think about the cheetah cat running and using the tail to, um, you know, for balance, the same thing was with the bipedals, that they use arms not primarily to pick up things, and of course that's also important, but also without arms, the balance would be very hard to achieve. Uh, l listeners, um, there's 
lots of time for you to call us if you would like to call rather than using email. So again, the toll-free number is one eight six 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 eight seven seven two two three, and email is Doctor Space at thespaceshow.com. Uh, Todd sent in a second email from San Diego, and he says, um, "Do you have any plans to do anything? Maybe not with space, maybe not with SpaceX, but with space itself, like visiting the moon or the technology." used to go to the moon or a moon lander or something like that. Do you, do you see yourself doing some kind of uh, art and technology with the destination actually being in space? Well, that would be wonderful. And uh, I know Char- Charles Simoni at some point had five tickets, but I think they're all used up. They're only like $50 million a ticket, right? <laughs> so uh, not in my budget, but of course I would, do, I would go with a blink of an eye. I think as human beings, uh, we are explorers, and it's just, um, just really wonderful. Uh, actually, a similar tang- tangential story to this, actually I don't remember, last year there was a tragedy with uh, Ocean Gate with the capsule. Right. Uh, Yes. So I actually I was invited. I knew Stockton, and I was supposed to be to be on that mission um, as an explorer and looking up at the technology up close in action. And because I had a show in Australia, I was so extremely busy. Uh, we planned with Stockton they would go next year. Uh, so I guess I'm 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 glad I didn't go. Uh, but but I do think that uh, be even you know. It doesn't matter the risk. I think it's, again, it's mankind or humankind. That's what we've been doing. And that naturally reflects. Uh, there is a great book I want to recommend to everyone. It's called The Denial of Death by Ernest Becker. And he makes a case how uh, humankind, we do everything for because we want to be heroic. So this, so that the, the, the human system is a system of symbols uh, that conveys humanity's need for heroism, and I think space technology, uh, you know, conveys that better than anything else. That to kind of heal and come to terms with our anxiety about death and about our smallness in the universe, uh, we create a hero system. Uh, and we want to participate in something of lasting value. And, of course, space mission is just that for humanity. So um, so that's why, again, space technology is so, 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 so dear to my heart. Um, Christina is in Salt Lake City, and she says, you mentioned earlier on that you grew up in a Catholic country. Uh, so when you talk about... Uh, space having a duality with technology and religion. Is religion defined by you as the Catholic religion or something comparable? Or is religion something outside of an organized religious concept with God at the center of that? Can you clarify a little bit of how you see religion and how that works in your art? Is it the Catholic religion you grew up with? Uh, sure, yes. So I, so yeah, I grew up in monotheistic system, uh, with one God. Um, 
I think as an adult, I grew beyond that in a sense that I think, uh, you know, that we live in a heroic system and these, uh, and, and it can be, can be overtly or covertly or religious and religion can mean many things. And actually with technology was interesting. I do think that technologies, um, will, there will be religions definitely, um, a source of, excuse me, technology is source of religions. And the, the, the more our knowledge expands, I think that the definition of religion changes in that sense. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure that answers the question, but, uh, it's religion. I think the most, the most important kind of interesting point of religion and technology is that both really, uh, mortality is the center of, of, uh, um, of both. And um, so I'm not opposed to religion. I'm, I, I'm probably agnostic in that sense. Uh, but uh, the transcendence of death, whatever that means, might mean through technology, might mean to, but it could mean also through writing a book. That's also how we want to participate in something of lasting uh, value. For me as an artist, I think of legacy. Uh, so that's my, that's how I deal with death. I think uh, people who are, um, might be um, more religious in a traditional sense, but also I think give them comfort how to deal with that. So in that sense, they're very similar to me. As we continue to advance with technology, including robotics and AI, does it in your mind take the place of a more traditional religious perspective? Well, this is very interesting. As humanity, we build temples, and more than temples, cathedrals, to what we believe in and what's most important. And so, of course, um, you know, um, traditionally, cathedral is a, is, a, is a religious institution, but I think cathedral can have many different meanings. So um, I like to laugh that I'm from Eastern Europe and we're very nouveau-rich and we always wanted to have access to, you know, to capital and to free market economy. So in Poland, we, Poland used to be very religious, uh, but now I would say the cathedral in Poland is a shopping mall. That's where you, everyone goes. That's where you get your value. Um, that's very important. I think in America, uh, at some point, I cannot but not think that Apple Store, uh, in New York, that was a cathedral for a second. It was like the most kind of divine, uh, venerated space that people would go, uh, and, you know, get this sense of, um, of worth from having an iPhone, from having a phone. Um, in the future, I, I, I do think that probably space exploration, I will be the next cathedral in that sense. And this is where the resources are going to go. Um, so, so religion, yeah, religion will, I think religion in a traditional sense, um, for some people, you know, it's more important than ever. Uh, for others, it probably, you know, doesn't work defined as it used to be. And again, because of science, how we, we look at different things, uh, you know, the divine or the mysticism means something different today. Um, Rob in Tucson, Arizona has an interesting question. And Rob says the the great masters in art painted cathedrals and many, many different religious objects, including religious people, uh, 
the number of paintings and the number of objects that took over religious overtones is is probably beyond what we can count. So uh, I'm curious as to your picking other tech objects, space included, that you might convey the same kind of religious overtones that you did with the SpaceX pictures. If a goblet can have religious overtones in a in a classical painting or a traditional painting, why couldn't you do the same thing with uh, the tools used in a space capsule, for example, for humans flying to the moon or maybe one day to Mars? No, I love it. Yeah, this is great. I think there are these parallels um, that there is some essence of humanity, what it means to be human that just does hold for generations or for, you know, for centuries. Uh, it's interesting that I do use, like using gold leaf um, and, and, kind of, and that symbol as royalty at first and also royalty as being also divine that actually held for it still... It's still like the, the most precious metal that we use to indicate wealth and so on. Um, but, but no, yeah, that, no, that's, that's super exciting. And I think, of course, you know, we can talk about singularity. Like there is the merger of uh, of, of these forces. Of course, I also uh, it also brings to questions going back to symbolism. I think society, we all, you know, we operate within symbols and. Um, and sometimes the symbols, again, another great book, Simulacra by, uh, Robert Yard, uh, talking about how, you know, the whole, the whole society operates within systems, symbols, and, uh, and it's very complex, complex symbol, and, um, yeah, and, and, and gold within this, for my visual, yeah, gold within the, yes, gold through, um, through generations, it kind of had the same feeling. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you're familiar with um, labyrinths. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? I mean, you probably no, know. I don't. Tell me. So, no, I'm curious. So you probably know what a labyrinth is. Well, so um, at many different churches in America, there is a labyrinth movement. Uh, so a labyrinth is a walking meditation. So um, I was introduced to it through Grace Cathedral, Grace Cathedral in San Francisco, which you're probably familiar with. So they have in in the back of their cathedral, which is clearly uh, 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 paying respect and being built in honor to to praise God. Uh, at least I think that's how almost everyone would see it when walking into Grace Cathedral, which is magnificent Gothic cathedral. The back of it has an exact replica, scale model replica, of the Chartres Cathedral Labyrinth from the pagan and Wiccan times, you know, thousands of years ago. And uh, many other different churches have labyrinths where people walk for meditation, and um, hospitals have them for patients and family members to chill out. That's my term, not their term. Um, but um, so you... you you're on the property of a church of some denomination and you're doing this walking meditation on a labyrinth that is an exact copy of what's at Chartres Cathedral from pagan times. And you, you're surrounded by technology 
because you get there by cars. If you're walking at night, everything is lit up with big lights like at a, a stadium. And, and, of course, you've got the modern church next door. And probably, like in Las Vegas, houses are nearby. So technology is everywhere. And yet you're you're engaged in this very, very thousands-of-year-old religion uh, custom to sort of get in touch with uh, whatever is inspiring you or motivating you. So I would think maybe I'm maybe putting something out there that is not true for you or, or correct, but as you show technology in the way that you are showing it and you sort of cross over and blur the lines with some religious and spirituality, you're kind of doing what a person does when they walk a labyrinth uh, in one of these modern environments. Uh, am I sort of being clear to you? I, I don't know if I'm making any sense or not. I think so. I, 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 yes, I think so. Um, so, I mean, I can, in, just in terms of just my practice when I paint, I do find it very meditative. Uh, so, so in that sense, you know, I have rituals around how I work, which also, again, back to religion. Religion has rituals, too. Um, I do think, because, again, from my childhood, uh, I see technology, and especially space, space technology, like having this messianic role, uh, of course, taking, you know, um, Elon Musk's effort to take humanity to Mars, uh, that, that's a very messianistic role, right? So right. you think about Noah's Ark. I mean, it's, it's, the, the connection is just so clear. And, and you know, and human history and history of, 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 of cosmos is so old. Who are we to know what really happened and how these stories that were scientific perhaps were told in myths to us because that's how we operate as humanity in myths. So there's that. Then And then, of course, just like with religion, we think about technology uh, and space technology. Uh, is it the savior of humanity or is it the false prophecy? So that's another parallel between religion and the language of technology and how it's being also criticized. And messianistic role, in a sense, when the false messiah, is it the false messiah or real messiah? Um, and how, you know, and starting not just religious, also like historical figure, of course, Copernicus, or, you know, people who spoke in the truth, if it was too new and too shocking, how uncomfortable that was. Uh, so then there is also that forbidden truth uh, again. And, and, and finally, you know, the worship, the, the worship and, and cult uh, in technology and in religion, and how we worship as humanity, as mankind, very often worship uh, things that we are scared of, we don't understand, and we try to control them by worship and through, um, you know, through rituals. And again, that goes uh, through religions, through thousands of years, um, and also modern. And perhaps I have my rituals when I paint, and perhaps if somebody with no understanding would look what's being down around the rocket, uh, all the maintenance around it, what we call maintenance, you know, Someone who doesn't understand what's going on could look at them, think of them as the rituals, because they would understand the meaning behind it. Um, 
Well, let me um, give you Elizabeth's question first. So uh, Elizabeth is in Boston, and um, she says, um, I'm, I'm not sure your age or exactly what year it was when you were growing up in Poland, but I'm assuming it was still uh, part of the, of the Soviet Union, so you grew up in a, in a communist controlled in a, in a rigid environment, maybe even with efforts to control thought. I'm curious as to how that influenced you as to what you're doing today. Um, yes, so yes, I was born in 1973, so uh, the wall, when the wall came down, I was a young teenager, so yes, I grew up in communism. Um, it influenced me a lot. Uh, I tell in, uh, who, who heard my TED talk, you will know the story, but I like to tell the story of um, Radio Free Europe, how it brought hope to us, how as little kids, I remember my parents and other grown-ups listening to something forbidden on the radio, but in my mind it was this sacred object and was forbidden object to me, um, and it was Radio Free Europe, and it really brought a lot of um, hope to to homes in Poland, to people in Poland, and and I remember that, and I feel almost dead to that radio, uh, like it's an old friend. Another story... Um, the first thing my father did when the wall came down was to buy a car. We didn't, we grew up without a car. We grew up without much technology around us. And that car became not only a means for him to build a very successful business, but also, uh, my father and many people in Poland, to be truthful, um, were were uh, were suffering from drinking alcohol because they were so hope, hopeless. There was no hope, um, so drinking was a problem. And my dad also drank, and the the car, of course, he couldn't drink anymore because he had the car, so he had to drive it. So it was a very practical reason, but also the hope it gave him. He just became a different person. He should show his family he was talented. He worked hard. He could take care of us. So in my mind, again, that car. Uh, was such a uh, was a machine that brought such a huge change in my life, my family's life, and my country's life. So all my work, everything I do, uh, my very um, almost um, I call myself propaganda artist, very uh, strong defense of technology comes from that place that I feel like technology needs a voice. And there's a lot of artists who have a different approach, and it's totally fine. There's a lot of, of course, criticism around now, especially with generative AI. A lot of artists feel violated. Uh, I, I take a totally different approach because my experience growing up was, was very different. Technology was helpful to us. So because of your growing up environment, you see technology as opening doors and opportunity and not resulting in something bad and controlling, just just the opposite of what technology gave you when it came to you in Poland, because you you had the opposite before you were able to have technology. So, so you're you're the opposite side of what many of the warnings are about technology today. Yes, that is correct. I I think that. Technology, again, we're not unique. Uh, you know, we have a bias that we think this is a unique time. We're not that unique. Uh, technology generally causes big disruptions, and there are moments of disruptions. Um, Industrial Revolution, of course, was that. Uh, so 
so there is a discomfort that I understand the discomfort towards very fast changes and uh, you know shifts in economy and it can, that can hurt. But this is not first time. Uh, in odd in odd way, and we kind of saw this in the beginning, especially in the beginning of war in Ukraine, how Russia um, couldn't. Um, did not keep up their technology. Uh, you know, things were stolen. The maintenance was not being done. Um, so, so in a sense, for me, I think technology in the long run, uh, when there is no free mind to maintain it, technology will eventually die and follow because technology um, really requires um, the freedom of human mind to run it, to innovate, to operate it. Um, uh, absolutely. So, uh, listeners, you can still call us. There is time, 866-687-7223. Uh, I have a note from Harry, and uh, Harry's in Dallas, Texas. And he says, um, I have a suggestion for you. Uh, my suggestion would be maybe seen as a little bit unusual, but I think it would be great if you became a presenter at a significantly large space conference where you could show some of your uh, your art, your technical art, in the exhibit hall, but actually make a presentation to one of the tracks or to the major audience as a keynote speaker on what you've been talking about with technology and space and religion and how you see things here on the space show. There's a huge conference with about 1,200 people coming up in Los Angeles at the end of May by the National Space Society. David is very well connected to the National Space Society. If you wanted to look into it, I'm sure he could send you information and connect you to the people if you don't already know them uh, where such a presentation might be possible. I know this would be a very unusual presentation for you because it wouldn't be like a traditional art showing, but I think it would be a really great presentation for a space conference. Uh, any comments? Uh, that's very kind of you. Thank you. Uh, you know, th th this is um, – TED was also not really an art venue, and I've presented at um, – at venues that are not necessarily art venues. It's interesting what you're saying because because of my background, um, I'm an unusual artist because I'm a very techie artist, but a lot of tech artists kind of ask more questions about technology and they're more critical and just uh, inquiring. And, and I come from a place like really very, um, like I said, the propaganda artist, voice for technology. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm an artist, but it really all comes from a moral conviction, the technologies that would we do as humanity. Again, this is the biggest uh, proof of human ingenuity. And also, but beyond that, again, it's our, for humanity, this is a way to deal with our anxieties as human beings. We are the smartest animal on the planet, and we're trying to understand our purpose um, you know, moral implications of uh, being heroes. Uh, so I use art as a language, but it really I'm always that kid from Eastern Europe, from Poland, growing up in communism, who just wants to give the voice to technology that was just a wonderful friend to me. But thank you for the suggestion. Uh, David, hook me up. 
<laughs> you have a caller as we are approaching uh, the end of our hour. Good after, good evening, caller. Who are you and where are you? Thank you for your call. Uh, this is Marshall, and uh, your comment about uh, maintenance of equipment in a communist state hit me as very, very interesting because one of the things I always noted was the lack of uh, leading-edge ingenuity and, you know, new thought and different thought. And I also had a correlation thought of if the art is crazy and goes out and, you know, expresses A, B, C, D, E, F, T, I mean, just literally everything, uh, that's actually good for technology, where the old Stalinist state, you know, there's state art, and that was just about it. Uh, do you agree with that idea? What, what, you mean uh, in terms of art in a, in a totalitarian regime? It, well, there's the art in the totalitarian regimes gets to be very rigid, and at the same time, technology gets very rigid and doesn't doesn't uh, juvenate. And I was thinking there's a relationship with, uh, you know, American, European arts. Everybody's trying something new. I mean, let's face it, we have Picasso, right, and Salvador sure. Dali. And you kind of go, well, wait a minute. We have also Elon Musk. <laughs> yes, I do. So, okay, I do agree. I think, you know, any uh, any craft or any profession that requires innovation needs the freedom of human mind. Human mind, of course. So, um, yeah. So for so technology. And art in that sense is kind. They are similar, and I'm talking about like you know, art that is thoughtful. There's a lot of bad art. In fact, I'm very excited about generative AI in art because I think it's going to make a lot of good art. Actually, there's a lot of bad art. It's just nature of the thing. Um, but yes, without so it's interesting that you know a lot of utopia. Uh, utopian books and utopian um, you know TV shows and Hollywood shows. Uh, societies that are oppressed by technology, and we're seeing in China, of course, technology used in a negative way, especially for uh, um, to um, to uh, you know subdue the, situ- the, the the population and for uh, surveillance. Uh, I, in my view, uh, that has a run that's going to end at some point because you're going to run out of free minds to help maintain this technology. It's complicated. You can just um, you know, steal from other countries, uh, it will eventually, the free ride is going to end if there is no room for free minds. Yeah, I could go on for several hours on uh, mathematical corollaries and economics, but I think you're right on target. Thank you very much. Uh, Marshall? Thank you. Marshall, did you, I'm curious, in your engineering designs and engineering work that you did, or even in your agricultural work with technology, did you ever consider you were doing art or see art or, or think art? <laughs> My definition of art is very strange because one of the most beautiful pieces of work I ever did, nobody can see. It's all boiled down into binary 
you know, zeros and ones in a computer, and the computer crunches out mathematical answers. That, to me, is beautiful, but uh, you can't sell that to uh, a housewife because they have no concept of what you've done. Okay. Um, Marshall, thank you for your call, all right? All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, listeners, there's still time if you want to hurry and get a, a phone call in, 866-687-7223. Uh, do you have any uh, showings or any uh, place in the in the States where people can go see your work on display or, or see you uh, at an art presentation show? Do you have anything in the Bay Area coming up, for example? Uh, no, I don't because the robots are locked up. I mean, locked up. They're in the museum and the show had the robota. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, you so, mentioned that earlier. Yes. Yeah. So the so yeah so so the robots are there and I'm trying. This last year was such a big lift with putting the exhibition together with a lot of engineering. Uh, info is very complicated. This is a four month autonomous exhibition uh, running at the museum every day. Uh, no time off for the robot. So uh, this year I'm kind of just uh, hunkering down and doing work, going back to SpaceX, um, just being trying to be uh, more work inward focused. Um, I have uh, one more email. This will probably be the, the last one of the evening. Uh, ben is in Miami, Florida, and he says, um, I'm curious since you have said so much, about the robot dogs, did you ever, as a kid or a young adult, own a dog? I'm wondering how you see a pet dog, an animal dog, in contrast to your robot dog, since the robot dog seems to be your your pet dog now. I'm just curious if you ever had a dog and how you can compare and contrast them. I've never had a dog, and I'm sad to say that Human, I mean, the organic dogs don't like my, my Basha. Basha is my spot. So they really don't like that my spot has no smell to them. Looks kind of like a dog, but generally what happens, they, when they see the robot, they start yapping like, and I think they're yelling to the humans, watch out, watch out, this is not the dog, watch out, it's not the dog. So they don't trust my dog. Um, uh, yeah, so no, I, I, I've never had a, I haven't had the dog, but, um, yeah, just a robot dog. Um, as as we're coming up on the end of the of the hour, uh, have we missed anything? Is there anything you wanted uh, to say that we've forgotten or omitted or didn't even know to ask you? Because this is really a new topic for the space show. Uh, what else would you like to add, if anything, to the program tonight? I think I would add that I do think that engineers are artists. And I think engineers, and I'm just very grateful, and I think there's not enough uh, gratitude in humanity, in our culture, to engineers who build things, and we take things for granted. Uh, and it's just not right. I think it's, it's not right that pop icons, uh, you know, music or uh, actors get so much credit for what they do, and engineers behind, you know, uh, closed doors, they're solving our problems. So I hope as a society... We'll give more uh, more credit to engineers for making our lives so much better. Well, I think if we all had a a robot dog or a real dog, I I think our lives would be a lot better. But um, <laughs> I, I, I have real Absolutely. dogs, but uh, 
I, I think they make a big difference in people. So, and I would think the robot dog does too. Uh, this has been really delightful. I will send you information uh, in the next day or so about the the National Space Society conference and. Uh, I know other really big conferences like AIAA, and they have one in Las Vegas every October that's several thousand people big, and they have a big exhibit hall and others. So there are lots of opportunities. If you're interested in seeing about that, I can point you to some of them, but uh, I'm sure SpaceX could do the same. So, um, And the Mars Society has a really big conference that they do in Phoenix each year with exhibits, which would be a great place uh, to present. And then near you, uh, there is another Mars conference in Washington, D.C., that is uh, really the center of all Mars conferences and technology. And um, that's, you know, if you're doing something in and around New York, that's not that far. So that there are opportunities if you wanted to see what that was like. And uh, I would hope you would, I, and I hope you do it at one that I went to, because I would love to see your presentation and, and your robots and meet you in person. So um, there's a little bit of self-interest here. But uh, this has been a really interesting, very informative program and uh, the first of its kind on the space show. And I'm really appreciative of your stepping in uh, when the scheduled guest got sick and uh, that Davis was able to uh, get you to be a guest on the show. And I hope we can talk again down the road because I think this is a great topic and I appreciate your sharing it with us tonight. My pleasure, David. Thank you. So, thank you so much. It's been, it's been lovely being on. Thank you. Okay. And listeners, that's it. So uh, uh, Hotel Mars is on interstellar flight with Dr. Grinspoon tomorrow. And then Friday, we have our regular Friday program. And then um, Open Lines is on Sunday. So everybody have a great week and stay well and happy and keep looking up. And uh, thank an engineer and uh, hug a dog. How about that? Um, Uh, on behalf of our guests tonight uh, and uh, all of you who emailed and Marshall's call we thank you Uh, as we like to say everybody keep looking up and good night from the space show thank you for listening